You're listening to the Adventist on Fire podcast, aofire.org. Alex, good to have you here, dude. It's good to be here. Um, Now, I've noticed you're quite passionate about your faith and your spirituality, so I really wanted to get you on this podcast just to have a quick chat about how it is that you've come to be who you are. Yep. Um, Now, being a podcast, people can't see you, but I'm looking at you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you've got uh, a couple of tattoos behind your eyebrows. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've you don't look like me. Um, <laughs> no, I don't. And that's a, and that's okay. But um, yeah, like tell me tell me a story, man. Um, from a outward view, I probably don't look like a Christian. I do have tattoos on my face, my neck, the most part of my back, my arms, my chest, and uh, look. Um, I don't look the part, but on the inside, I'm on fire for the Lord. Amen. I'm on fire for the Lord for the hard reasons. Mm. I should have been on fire for the Lord because I was raised in, as an, in an Adventist home, a good Adventist home. Yep. I mean, at 14, I sang in, in the church choir, mm-hmm. and I should have known better. I went to an Adventist high school in Melbourne, and... Uh, I do know that a lot of uh, a lot of young people stray from the Lord, but I strayed very, very far. Um, I like to I like to think of the devil as a little evil jockey who will ride you as far away from the Lord as you allow him to. And unfortunately, I made the wrong choices in life. And even though the devil rode me away, I dug every hole that I ever fell into. Um, so where did it start? It started. It started about sixteen. I started rebelling, um, even though I was going to an Adventist school. I just started rebelling. Uh, there are many factors probably to that. Mm. The friends I had, maybe the music I was listening to. Um, what did active rebellion look like for you at 16? At 16, it looked like smoking, drinking, marijuana, um, uh, hang, like chasing girls. Just would look at all the wrong, th- all the things that an Adventist shouldn't do mm-hmm. that um, things that uh, that the Lord you know doesn't look upon and smile mm-hmm. um, and unfortunately a lot of things that young people do get up to including in Adventist settings yeah. um, so you did that for a couple of years and- I did that look I did that for a little bit I mean I was always, I've always been an extremist. I've always taken things to the extremes yep. um, from a very young age. And I basically very quickly that escalated up until nightclubbing, um, hardcore nightclubs. I mean, I wouldn't just go to nightclubs and go home. I'd go to a nightclub, go to another club, and then go to a recovery club and take some hard drugs. Um, I started involving myself with uh, the... Uh, more extreme groups that I was finding mm-hmm. because they seemed to thrill me more. And and I felt for some reason the thrill of the chase. And I don't know what I was chasing, but it, it, was, uh, it was a bad path to be on. Mm-hmm. And um, I started selling drugs here and there. Um, How old were you? Uh, let's say from 18 to 21 yeah. for, for the entire time my routine would be every weekend from Thursday to Sunday party hard techno nightclubs um, I'd sell drugs to cover my habit so I wouldn't cut in I would still work all week mm-hmm. um, what did you do for work? I was in construction yep. 
Um, I've been in construction for 11 years. Um, I learned early on that uh, if you don't work, at least even if you're you know, running around and having a chaotic lifestyle, you'll, you'll fall apart, you'll end up in the gutter. And I didn't want that. I, I guess in a way I wanted to um, support my lifestyle, support the habits that I was making, the bad habits that I was making. One thing led to another. I mean, after a while, selling, selling, you know, 100 pills a week gets boring. After a while, chasing girls gets boring. After a while, you know, you're, you're in the wrong environment, so you start to encounter violent situations and you start to become violent yourself, you know. People will either fight or flight. They'll either get into a few situations and they'll run away from that scene and pull, you know, pull their head in, change their lives around, or they'll just adopt a violent lifestyle and things just get worse and worse and worse. And I uh, supplemented that as well with, I began to take steroids as well as taking drugs. Bad cocktail of mix of substances that I was putting into my body that was starting to alter my mind, my body and yeah. my choices. It doesn't look like the steroids have lasted. No, they, no, they never <laughs> last. And... Uh, were you into bodybuilding as well? Not bodybuilding. I was literally into taking a lot of drugs, yeah. uh, doing a lot of gym and steroids so I would look good, I suppose, originally to, to pick up girls yeah. or to intimidate other guys or maybe possibly to not look like I was a drug addict. And slowly, slowly, I was, I mean, even though back then I wasn't a, uh, um, an addict, a habitual user I was still a recreational user but I was still pushing those to the extremes there's a fine line between recreational drug use and and extreme and addiction yeah and I was always teeter-tottling above those lines and I mean it takes a toll on your body on the outside I may have looked like I had a bit I was muscly and I was I was fit but on the inside my body was rotting deteriorating Mm. um and then when I'd got to about 21, 22, I'd just experienced so much in life, so many things. I, I'd, I'd, I'd had the world, I'd tasted the world, I'd dived into the deep end, I'd, uh, I'd had my fill and I, I, it, nothing thrilled me anymore. And after a few turns of events, I uh, joined an outlaw motorcycle club, mm-hmm. which I won't mention the name. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was a part of that for about six years. Um, what does that look like? How do you join? Well, you just go knock on the door and no, not at all. Um, sign a piece of paper. Not at all. Look, <laughs> I, I now that I believe in God, yep. I believe that the devil facilitated for my uh, association with this club. Yep. Um, uh, how it looked originally was a friend of a friend invited me down one night. Uh, I looked like I could probably fit in there because I'd started to tattoo myself. I had a, you know, I look like, I look like, the, I obviously looked the part, but in, I had not ever dealt with such a lifestyle before. Mm-hmm. And um, th- I thought I was in the deep end in the world yeah. until I joined the club, until I started hanging around the club, and then I got really thrown into some deep stuff. Yeah. Um, it's either, it's sink or swim in, in, in the outlaw motorcycle world. So six years of that. Yeah. Um, what did that look like? Um, originally, it looks good from the outside. It looks like maybe a family, some good times, some nice toys, a lot of women, a lot of bad things, but put in a good light. Yeah. It looks appealing, appealing to someone who hasn't got anything, any good moral structure in their life. 
um, I had been raised in a good moral environment, but I had thrown all that out the window. So anything go, anything went, and I adopted a, another set of rules to live my life by, which was it doesn't matter if you step on someone else as long as you're doing right by those who are close to you. Very quickly, I was thrown into violent situations, not like how I'd been in before, really violent situations. And uh, I was really taught how to fight, really taught how to push myself to the limits. And the more and more I got involved, the longer I was there, the more I progressed in the club and the more I was taken into the bosom of the club. Did you have like a specific role or job? Or Initially, you just hang around. Yeah. And then... And then members from the club will look at you and they'll want to groom you groom you to see if you're capable of becoming a prospect um basically what is is they they want to see if you can become a potential member um it's it falls down to it falls down to what different members different individuals want to put you through i mean um but at the end of the day very quickly you go from having fun to being in a position where you're stuck and having to do what you're told. And again, you either sink or swim. You either swim and you develop on these uh, criminal traits or these bad traits, or you, you, you get your head kicked in and you get drummed out and everything that you own taken off you and the threat put on your life. Mm. And uh, Had you seen that happen to other people? I, I saw that happen from the beginning. But... You know, you always think to yourself, ah, that won't be me, I'll do the right thing. Yeah. You know, it's still fun, it's still exciting, you, you don't want to go, the devil has a hold on you, you know what I mean? You, you, it, it, it looks very appealing, it looks very appealing. It's very easy to get brainwashed in these situations. People are very manipulative, people will say a lot of things, and I don't believe, now that I believe in God, now that I have God at the centre of my heart, I think there is a demonic aspect there, and... And these people, and a, and a lot of people in in evil groups like this are given PhDs in brainwashing and manipulation. And I went, I was groomed, and I was groomed to be able to become a prospect, which is uh, for a year you basically become a slave to this club, a slave to the members of this club. You do what you're told. If you don't do what you're told, you get your head kicked in, and you're supposed to go have a beer with the person who's kicked your head in, not to be kicked out. I was I was uh, I was uh, disciplined with violence, but also taught violence. Also taught the drug trade, how to make certain certain drugs, how to mix certain drugs, how to definitely sell drugs, and all the other things that came hand in hand with that, which was the uh, use of weapons, how to fight, and I don't mean kickboxing. I mean we'd get in fight like fight each other, and knock each other out. Mm. So that when it came down to the street, if you got smacked in the head real bad, you wouldn't fall on your back and get your head stomped in. It's a very violent, very violent world. Yeah. Um, the best way to get yourself accustomed to that is through drug use and the drug of choice for 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 anyone that's involved in in, a, in an outlaw motorcycle club are amphetamines a mixture of amphetamines and steroids. There are other drugs that are taken, but those two drugs are the cornerstone because the steroids will make you very big and strong and the amphetamines will take away your conscience, will keep you in a position where you can be up for days and just, I, I honestly believe I was honestly possessed every time that I was on amphetamines. Mm. And, um, I mean, it started off with speed and it graduated into ice 
and it went from small amounts and by the end of it I could easily eat a gram a day. Mm. For the six years that I was hanging around, uh, I was just associating for the first few. I was a prospect for a year and then I was a member for a year. The last three years I was a hopeless ice addict, daily user. I was a slave to the devil and a slave to the drug and I put an insane amount of steroids into myself to be able to, to honestly not look like a junkie. So using that, that much drug, uh, how do you afford that? Were you of any use to the club when you were just an addict? The whole time that I was in the club, I could afford it. I was selling the drugs. I was still working hmm. in construction. It did not matter if I had been up for four days. I would just have a line. The more I'd been up, the bigger the line I'd have to have. Go straight back to work somehow pull the week together do every all i barely slept i barely slept mm. i barely slept for years um on the inside rotting more and more and more so um i would break the law daily every day i sold drugs big amounts of drugs um every day i was violent um I was in contempt of life, contempt of people, contempt of myself, unknowingly in contempt of the laws of God. God was out of the picture for me. I mean, for me, it had always been just a story that I thought my parents were trying to force down my throat. But in reality, what I had done is I had come into the devil's domain. So after six years of that, how do you you walk away from that? Um, Not in a good way. I, in the biker's eyes i had left the coward's way but in my eyes i'd left in an intelligent way i'd left my bike behind my patch behind and i just ran Mm. um i'd seen 10 people jump on one person before and i knew that i i wasn't i wasn't going to fight these people um people who i thought were my family were really my enemies um, I'd, lost, I'd lost my mind from the drugs I'd honestly lost my mind every, every second day I was in psychosis I had the craziest thoughts going through my head um, Not to mention the things that I would get up to daily And so after a few turns of events in the end Which I won't mention I, uh, I just ran I just kind of ran And I became homeless because I didn't want to go near my family out of fear that retaliation would come to my family. Mm. And so I, uh, I hid out in a, an area in Melbourne where I would just my, – my weekly cycle would be finding whose couch I could sleep on, doing whatever I could for ice very quickly. That any money that I had went on the drug. I had a very expensive habit, very hundreds and hundreds of dollars a week, thousands of dollars a week. Um, I had stopped using steroids because towards the end of my time in the bike club, I developed from the steroid use a blood infection and found myself in a hospital in a very, very bad way. My body was literally falling apart. The steroids were given up then. Um, and very quickly I went from the size that I had, 95 kilos, whatever, down to like a skeleton i was just really sick and i became homeless um and i was still an ice addict and i remember when my money ran out at the beginning i would call loved ones to meet me in certain places to beg them for money 
and now when they when they obviously I've I've been reunited with my family with my loved ones and when they describe the way I looked back then that I was yellow with blue lips and half the weight that I am now mm. a walking walking dead a walking skeleton mm. and little did I know that that fueled that fueled all the prayers all the prayers that were being prayed for me in the community that I was raised in the Adventist community and I had no idea I had no idea. I was just so gone from the drugs, living in cracked ends for six months, breaking into cars. When my money expired, I would do anything, and I wouldn't care about food. I wouldn't care about life. I'd only care about ice. Mm. If my mother was sitting there and dying in the gut, I would have stepped over her just to get ice. I wouldn't have cared. And, I mean, the devil had a hold on me, and if it wasn't for the prayers of my loved ones, I would have tied a rope with, uh, tied a noose with the rope the devil handed me. Yeah. You were telling me something earlier about your experience in the crack dens and just the lowliness of that. Yeah. Hitting the last of those. Well, again, I'd never to that point believed in God. I'd never seen God. I'd never, I, I'd seen a lot of evil in the world. But the point where I knew that the devil existed is when I'd been a crack den and I'd see the, and I was lucky enough to never inject the ice. But it's, it's, it's a way that most ice users end up to because. They, uh, they don't need as much to get the high. Or look, by that point, I, I'd only need it to be normal. I wouldn't be high on it anymore. I'd just take it to kind of half function. Um, and when you're in a, dr- in a crack den and you're next to someone who's missing their vein 10 times to get their hit and so desperate to get it, and they'll keep going and on the 11th time with a bloody arm finally find a vein that they can inject with, you know that the devil is real. And in that crack den... I cried out to the Lord and I said, I said, God, if you exist and you can get me out of this, I will give my life to you. If not, I wish death. I don't want this. I want to die. But the Lord in his mercy pulled me out of that. He pulled me out of that. And I'm a, a year clean from, from the ice. I mean, I'd gone so far from the Lord. By the end of it, why wouldn't I have wished for death? I'd become a junkie. I'd become a violent ice addict. And I'd also become a homosexual. And I said I would have done anything to get my drug. You can imagine the things I would have had to do anything. Yeah. And I prayed to the Lord and he had mercy on me. Mm. <laughs> and he pulled me out of that so fast. Mm. You can never believe. I mean... I didn't even have to go to rehab. I was desperate and I wanted death and I, and I cried out one night and made a phone call to my sister who's an Adventist and I said, please, I need rehab or I'm going to die. And I only had to spend seven days in rehab with the Bible open. All, all rehab did for me for seven days was open the Bible and spend some time with God and tears in my eyes see that God was real because I'd seen the devil and I'd seen God save me so quickly. And, and I just felt like, and I left rehab because there was someone that was in the rehab there with me that was just bailed there from prison and he was using ice because we could leave the rehab when we wanted to and he offered me one night and I said, I don't want this. And I left. I didn't, I didn't tell anyone that was happening. I wasn't going to be a dog or anything, but I left. And, and, I, and, and through this whole time, I had, um, I had, a, I had a girlfriend who is now my fiancé who, who – who I'm still I'm being patient with and, and she doesn't stand between me and God but 
forgave me for everything I'd done behind her back and she knows about everything. I mean, I would cheat on her behind her back. I would sleep with men with her behind her back. And she's such a good woman. And I mean, when she saw that I was going to go to, when I went to rehab, she saw that there was a chance for me. And she said, look, I want to be there for you. And, And she got an apartment for us. And and I spent a couple of weeks and then God gave me a job back in construction and, and I spent a couple of weeks more and I started, you know, and it was good for me. It was like I was so thankful for the Lord that he gave me, put me in a position where I could start repaying my my fiancé now with just a little bit of kindness considering I'd put her through hell. Mm. And I mean that woman followed me into hell and now I'll be as patient as I need to be for her so she can follow me into heaven. Mm. And not long after I'd gotten a job and I was working Saturdays even though I knew that that it was the Sabbath because I was raised in Adventist, my sister t- told me that Ivor Myers was coming to Melbourne mm. and, and that we need to go. And I said, anything, anything, whatever the Lord puts in my way. Do you know what I mean? I was so fresh, so fresh out of the drugs, so fresh out of the ugly the ugly, 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 dark side of this life. And I mean, there's some bad things you'll see in this life, but I, I think that I've seen some of the worst that, this, 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 that you can find in this country. And I mean, I went to Ivor Myers and the first night that, the first night that he preached and he called for baptism, I was so moved by the Holy Spirit. I got up out of my seat, this, this tattooed, out of place looking, bald, Junky looking. I'm not sure how I looked back then, but I walked up to the front, and I, I and and every night that he called for baptism, I walked up to the front. Mm. And that Saturday, he baptized me. I think there was the Holy Spirit really worked there. There was like 50 people that were baptized. Yeah. And ever since then, I have so given my life to the Lord. I um threw the cigarettes away. I threw the alcohol away. I threw everything away. I I, I obviously have had some consequences to my actions. Yeah. Um. I, but nothing compared, nothing compared to what I should have gone through. People go two years in rehab for ice addiction and come out and go straight back on the ice. I've never looked back. Yeah. The Lord has had so much mercy on me and my mind could have never changed. But the, the importance of prayer, the power of prayer is so strong that, that I know it was the prayers of my loved ones that reached God and that he sent the Holy Spirit to change my heart before my mind did because my heart changed. My mind couldn't have thought of anything good. Mm. My mind has always been my worst enemy. I've always been my worst enemy. I've dug every hole, hole that I've ever fallen into, but God God pulled me out in what seemed to be at a seemingly unbottomless pit. Yeah. A bottomless pit, sorry. And, I mean, I haven't looked back since. I spent the first six months of, as a Seventh-day Adventist, a baptized Seventh-day Adventist, doing ministry work I straight away gave up my Sabbaths at work and and for somehow my boss understood and I spent six months with a very good friend of mine just every at least once a week would go would have feed homeless people hand out steps to Christ it was the best six months of my life I did <clears throat> after six months do a sermon on the internet and I was a bit too I I'd said too much information and mm. and a bit too explicit in the sermon and my old club threatened my life and I moved into state to escape the threat but I didn't know that it was what God wanted me to do it was the best thing that had happened to me I was no longer in my Sodom I was no longer in the the, the place where I could easily get drugs or, or easily run into my wicked past 
God moved me to green the pastures. I know my role. I know my debt to the Lord is huge and I will repay that debt. I have no doubt about it. And I know my role is to just do whatever the Lord needs for me, share my testimony, even though it's so hard to talk about it, even though I'm ashamed of it. The Lord gives me the strength to share it because if I could be saved, if I could be saved, anyone can be saved. If God could have mercy for me, no one could stray too far from the Lord. I deserved death. I deserved so many bad things happening to me, but God is so merciful. I'm a walking miracle. I don't know how I'm alive. The violence should have got me. I should be shot dead, stabbed, in prison, and I would have deserved all that. But God was merciful. And I mean, I, I, I've crashed four motorcycles at 130 to 180 kilometers an hour, not a scratch on me. God saved me every time. And God has looked after me and I'll do what I can. I don't deserve the mercy. But that's why I love the Lord and that's why I'm on fire for the Lord. Yeah, so I guess there's no doubt in your mind that God actually has a plan for you and a purpose. God has a plan for all of us. Yeah. And my advice to anyone listening is don't, don't, you don't have to go through these things to come close to the Lord. God doesn't want to. God does not want to use. <clears throat> God does not need you to go through hell and back to make a good testimony. God would prefer you to stay close to Him. God would prefer you to have always stayed close to Him. And if you're not close to Him, and if you don't know the Lord, get to know Him. Mm. I don't wish my story upon anybody, but my story is a testament to anybody that's been through anything that I've been through, that one. We commit so much abomination in the eyes of the Lord, and it can be forgiven. But this world justifies a lot of the things that I thought weren't so bad. Even though that I had extremes in my life, the world still justifies recreational use of drugs. I'm telling you right now, you start. I started with smoking joints. I end up a disgusting crackhead. The world is trying to make homosexual marriage okay. I had went down that path. It was an ugly path for my for me to go down. I would never go back down again. I wasn't born like that. The devil wanted me to just be, become a perversion. Hmm. He wants he doesn't want to kill you straight away. He wants to torture your mind, your soul, your body before he does away with you. Hmm. And that's how malicious he is. And that's why I know there's no hope left for him. But there is hope left for us. Hmm. Grace still remains. Grace still remains. Man, I want to thank you for um, yeah sharing your story as hard as that is to share. Um, yeah, like it obviously still brings tears to your eyes. Yeah, yeah. I, um, yeah. I, try not, I try not to. <laughs> I try not to let it. But yeah. Whenever, yeah. That's fine, dude. Um, so thank you for that. And uh, yeah, praise God that he, praise the Lord. he did hear you. He always hears us. He's good. But He's um, God praise God that you're able to see him working in such a fast way yeah. in your life. And um, praise God for your family. I thank God for my family. <laughs> so I thank God for them every day. Yeah. Just to finish off, yep. I've got um, a few questions here that I'm going to start asking Please. most guests, the selected seven questions. Um, what were the key elements of your conversion, just in a short summary? In my case, I needed 
to go through some bad things because I didn't want to see, I didn't want to believe when it was easy, when it was handed to me when I was young. In my case, I had to go through everything I went through. But I chose that. And 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 I chose to run away from the Lord. So I, I guess that I needed to go through all that to come to the Lord. But I pray that it's not the case for anyone else. What was the biggest barrier to you committing your life to ministry now? The biggest barrier was were my choices. Like I said, I had dug every hole that I'd ever fallen into. And it wasn't until I wanted death more than anything that I wanted God. I was I allowed myself to be my own barrier through my choices, which because I didn't have the Holy Spirit in my life, were influenced by another spirit, not a good spirit. Who in the Bible do you relate to the most? I relate myself to King David. Um, because, because I used to, oh, I used to freestyle. I used to rap when I was in my whole lifestyle before I came to God. It's just, I don't know, just I'd done it from when I was young and it was just a good way to like just express myself. Yeah. And believe me, I could rap about so much and be real about it. But when I came to the Lord, I put away that that genre and I started writing psalms and I've written 100 psalms awesome. until now. Maybe we can get some of those and put them on the show notes. We will, we will. I don't, my phone just died. I'd read one to you, honestly. Um, God didn't want me to be a rapper. He wanted me to be a psalmist. I remember when Ivor Myers baptized me. I knew I had a talent for words and I was trying to put together some a rap song and and you know what I I just for me that music and that style it just, I'd never rapped about anything good but the Holy Spirit convicted me to to write a psalm and I wrote my first psalm and I was honored for his wife to read it while he baptized me a year ago and I've written 50 to 100 psalms till then and and I'll I'll definitely give them to you awesome look forward to seeing some of those uh, what spiritual leader or mentor has had the greatest influence on your life? It would have to be Ivor, just because he's so holy spirit-filled and the work he does is amazing. And he was the first man on the scene that he didn't ask questions. He just saw that I needed to be just baptized in the first body of water that was available mm-hmm. and that, that I needed to be embraced and not, and not, and not uh, postponed. Yeah. Uh, what's the best advice you've ever received? The best advice that I ever received I was given when I was young that I didn't listen to and I've been given all my life by good Christians, especially good Adventists, which is give your life to Christ. It's the best thing that ever happened to you and I'm telling you right now, I've done it all. Everything in the world loses loses its appeal and if you have any love for the world, you do not have love for the Father. But if you give your life to Christ and do the will of God, you will live forever. Amen. If you were made conference president tomorrow, what would you do to help finish the work? I would target the youth. I would target the youth in a different way than I was targeted. I would target the youth and let them know firsthand that the world will destroy them and that they are just wasting their time when there are so many important works that need to be done. I would do my best to cut, to to try and deter young Adventists from leaving the church and spend their time in servitude to God rather than to the world. Mm. Because so much work, I would have done so much more work for the Lord had I not run from the Lord. Sure, my testimony now has some power to it because of what God did for me. But, I mean, 
we will be saved through faith. But if you have faith, you need to outreach, you need to spread the word of the Lord. It, it comes naturally. It, it's something that you want to do. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the Holy Spirit is as strong in an Adventist that doesn't leave the church, a Christian that doesn't leave the side of God, than in one that returns. And and I believe that targeting the youth is very important, keeping them close, and in that way, effectively getting more work done for the Lord and possibly bringing the return of the Lord the, that time closer. Amen. Uh, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, have you got an email address where they can drop you a line? Um, yeah. Well, we can yeah. stick something in the show notes later. No, no. Um, um, A-L-E-X-O underscore Romania at hotmail.com. It's a very old email address. <laughs> <but> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for your time, Alex. I really appreciate you sharing your story, man. God bless you. Adventist on fire. Go ye. A strategic board game that's more Adventist than Doug Batchelor eating haystacks on Sabbath. In Go Ye, players spread the gospel by investing in spiritual gifts, mission trips, and church organizational growth, while planting churches across a custom world map of 58 conferences and 10 divisions. The goal is to have the most TMI before the second coming, but will the GC president, the missionary, or the adventurepreneur get the biggest crown? Go ye to aofire.org to register your interest.